Welcome to the GPSA podcast. This episode is proudly sponsored by MDA National, here to support and protect members and promote good medical practice. Thanks everybody for, for joining in. I uh, consider myself relatively new in this game to what a lot of you guys have been doing. I know that many of you have been supervisors for 20, 30 or, or more years. I've, uh, I've been a supervisor now for about the last sort of seven years. Uh, it wasn't long after my fellowship that uh, that our practice sort of gave me the, the default job of, of looking after the other registrars coming through. But nonetheless, over the last couple of years, I was fortunate enough to be acting in a medical educated position, just doing um, support support for, for supervisors. I was lucky enough to, to share that with Nick, uh, who's online with us tonight as well. But uh, as I said, I'm up in Queensland, up in Proserpine, Early Beach in the Whitsundays, beautiful part of the world. So any of you who are uh, shivering through a cold southern winter, please feel free to come on up and visit us. What we're hoping to, to get through tonight is uh, we, we're going to hopefully help you understand the potential causes of difficulty for registrars. We want you to know how to identify signs of difficulty for them. But you have, have an idea about what measures to put into place to address these issues with, with your registrar. And then of course knowing when, how and why to escalate or refer those concerns on to others as appropriate. I'm certainly going to be moving through pretty quickly. We've got a lot of material, but definitely we'll be we'll be watching the, the questions as they're coming through. So we're just going to start off with a, a simple poll question of, uh, have you ever identified or supported a registrar at risk? Look, you know, that, that's, uh, that, that's probably about where we, we would anticipate things to be. We'd certainly be, be thinking that, you know, 70% of you have, have said, yes, you, uh, you have been in this position before, and nearly 30% of you are saying that you've been fortunate enough to, to not be in this, this situation. So for those who have, we're going to be keen to, uh, to hear your experiences and, and insights as we go. And for those who fortunately haven't been in this situation yet, hopefully you'll feel a little bit more prepared when it does arise than those of us who who've been there before. You've got to think about where a registrar has come from by the time that you actually get them in your general practice. Remember that for many of them, this is actually their first real you know, real independent job, that they've been through all these years of schooling, excelling you know, as, as they went. They've put in the, the hard slog through university. They've now had a very structured time in, in the, the hospital setting where they've very much been subservient and, and being told very directly about you know, what their roles and responsibilities are. And then they do take that big step of, uh, of deciding, okay, which vocational training pathway do I want to go down to? And before you know it, they're falling on your doorstep in, in your, your general practice. Always good to just, just think about, you know, where they're at. And it's, it's a little bit, you know, different in, in medicine that we have this delayed maturity where if you were talking about somebody who's gone and done an apprenticeship as a as an electrician or a carpenter, they might be fully qualified by you know 21 and actually be operating a small business themselves by the time they're 23 or, or 24. Whereas it's not at all unusual for a for a junior doctor to be at 25, 26, daunted by the thought of you know having to apply for jobs and, and going and doing interviews and things like that. So always important to, to think a little bit about that that background of where your registrars are coming to you from. And it's not surprising that, you know, that a lot of the time that they come in and you see it yourself, when they start their first term, they're just holding on for, for, for grim life, you know. They, uh, they've got no idea what they've got themselves into. They've got a whole lot of generic skills. They've got a 
vast amount of knowledge that they don't really know if it's applicable or, or not to the, the setting that they've come themselves in for, but they're really just hoping that they can get themselves through that first day, that first week, that first term without killing anybody or doing any, any harm. Just remember, you know, they're, they're fearful. They, they really are frightened about what they're, what they're coming into. So it's not at all surprising that they're going to really go through quite a bit of a culture shock in that, that first term. And there's a lot of these issues which may have already been uh, been addressed in your in your practices and with your registrars. But nonetheless, you know, you, as I said, you, you've got to think about that transition from a hospital resident to now being a GP registrar. That means that they're no longer in that closely supervised team setting of consultant, registrar, resident, where they've always slotted comfortably in to. They've often been allocated to a particular term. They might have been doing ONG or psych or doing PEDS. And so the clinics that they're seeing are quite structured. They know generally what type of patients they've got coming in. All of a sudden they're in general practice land and they've got a variety of different patient presentations. And most importantly, they've got no idea what the next presentation is going to be either. It's not just the variety. This is also, for many of them, the very first time that they're no longer on a structured salary. And although we do have the national terms and conditions, which we do endorse wholeheartedly and hope that everybody's adhering with, you know, there, there are certainly very many registrars for whom their fee or their, their, their income uh, is directly related to the amount of activity that they're performing. So fee for service is a big change for registrars to go through as well. When we've been in, in private practice for, for some time, we love our consulting room. This is our little haven. We, we love that the, the intimacy and the, the, the personal space that it gives us to share with the, with the patients. But for a new registrar, it's a really daunting place to, to be. They don't have the comfort of a colleague just on the other side of the, of the curtain or they're not surrounded by their supervisors every time that they're seeing a patient. So that's, that, that's another issue there that we, we're always having to be, to be mindful of. And then, of course, there's just the, the straight out logistic issues that now they've got a new workplace and, and a new boss. That boss may or may not be the supervisor who they're relying on to, to take them through each day and, and each week. It might be somebody who they never actually get to meet. So that, that's daunting for a lot of registrars as well. And particularly for those who are going and doing their rural term, you'll often find that this means that they've now got a lot of dislocation from the support structures, the home, the family networks that they've been holding dear for for all, all their lives. So great to just be mindful about these things before the registrar has even seen their first patient of what are the, what's going through their, through their mind. Now as, as supervisors, we probably still most commonly anticipate that the, the main areas of registrar difficulties are going to come in the areas of clinical skills or knowledge. And look, that's, that's probably historical. The big difference that we see with that is that registrar um, applications and acceptance into the AGPT program is certainly much more competitive than, than it was. And we've now moved away from anybody who applies for general practice training uh, is being accepted into it. So now you get a, a state where you know, if they actually get onto the, the program at all, you might find that regional training providers are omitting those sort of you know, band nine or even band eight registrars from their intake so that you are generally finding on, on the whole that the registrars coming into the, the training program are certainly more knowledgeable 
probably a little bit more mature and a bit more experienced, but nonetheless, you know, this is still a, a common area of, of concern that, that we often come across. One thing which certainly hasn't changed and always is a, a recurring issue that we that we do see for, for registrars when they're struggling in their placement might be communication difficulties. There's a whole barrage of reasons why communication difficulties arise and of course we, we do have to be particularly wary of, of those when we do have registrars and supervisors who may come from different cultural backgrounds. But we've also got personality differences, we may also have different strengths or styles of communication and learning which are different from ourselves to our registrars or from our previous registrar to the one we've got now. So it's always important to be a little bit aware of, of those potential causes that, that, that might arise. Another possible area of, of registrar difficulty is just personal difficulties and it, it's very going to be very difficult sometimes for the registrar, particularly when they're new in the term and they haven't really worked out their place in the, in the, the bigger practice or the, the big team of just where they actually sit, how far can they go with their supervisor, what are the boundaries that they can, they can explore. So you may find that your registrar at least initially is very reluctant to address these with the supervisor and although we may always try to come across as comforting and as, as, as friendly as we, we can be, there is never any question that there remains a very significant power imbalance between ourselves as a supervisor and the registrar and we should never really um, let that drift from our minds in any time that we're interacting with, with the registrar, particularly in terms of patients or, or peers. Another area which commonly comes up and, uh, and sadly gets omitted or, or hidden so often is, uh, is the, the, the issue of, of illness in, in the, the registrar. Registrars should never feel as though they have to hide an, an illness from uh, their supervisor, but more importantly, we would hope that the registrar themselves has their own GP who they can go and see and trust and be honest with and you know, know that they've got confidential care in, the, in that, that setting. If that's somebody within the practice, or that's somebody in a in a uh, another practice in town. That's fantastic. If that's already if that's a GP who's back in their hometown, great. But always make sure that you know your registrar is not left having to self-manage or self-diagnose or even worse hide a uh, hide a condition. Because we know from the, the studies, and there was a, a big one uh, undertaken by Beyond Blue a couple of years ago that showed that junior doctors are at massively increased risk of mental illness. And unfortunately, our profession is very overrepresented in, uh, in, in suicide and, and, and mental illness areas. So it is very important if the registrar is all, all of a sudden seeming as though they, they might not be just going as, as well as they could be, think, you know, are they actually got the, themselves a, a GP? Are they making sure that somebody's actually looking after these areas for them. So we can you know, sort of broadly clumply, clump these, these areas into, into the four P's and I'm not a big fan of acronyms, I really hate these sort of you know, jingoistic abbreviations but nonetheless if we think about personal factors like you know, health issues, relationship problems and new addition to the family, professional conduct and we're going to visit these early warning signs in a moment, practice issues so it might be as, as simple as what happens with workload, they might be struggling with using the telephone system or the, or the IT 
they might be having a clash with other team members in the in the, the staff there as, as well and of course you know although we shouldn't be seeing as many performance weaknesses as we, we once upon a time did of course it does remain a significant concern which we're which we're always uh, aware of Marissa that that's that's absolutely right that you know we need to be leading by example on, on having our, our own GPS so we're going to just do an, another quick question around and, and thinking about your most recent encounter with the registrar at risk what do you think that the underlying cause for that might have been we'll open that up to questions now so we're seeing a pretty even even spread there and and certainly performance weaknesses uh, is still a, a significant issue and I'm not at, at, for a second trivializing that or, or uh, pretending that, that it doesn't happen it most certainly does does still happen but absolutely right that we, that we see you know close to half of you identifying that personal issues for the for the registrar have been the the, the major thing and that is that is something which I'm really hoping that that from tonight we're all a little bit more aware and can, can manage those issues a little bit more more sensitively and, and, and appropriately often and once again as supervisors it, it certainly is our our natural reaction and our, and our natural response that we would think that okay well if we haven't heard anything to the contrary it must be that the registrar is doing okay. You know, silence may be golden, but uh, but no news is is good news as as well. And uh, and sadly, that's not always the way. You know, we uh, we know that that uncertainty, and we know that particularly if the registrar is is struggling to to voice their concerns, or or that uh, that there hasn't been anything which which has been raised, it doesn't really always mean that that everything's going along smoothly. And it's also important that we make sure that we're getting active feedback often and uh, and that we're we're actually you know taking note of that feedback means nothing if it's not not actually being being acted upon and so it, of course it's most most important that we're getting the feedback from the registrar themselves they're the one who's at the center of, of this this whole concern that's the person who we need to be listening to and they need to know that they're being listened to as well when they're asking for for, uh, for, for help or for, for advice but of course there are so many other important sources of feedback that we we need to be taking heed of and listening as well, to as well and it's constantly going to be the case that staff and patients are going to be sharing a completely different perspective on your registrar to what you're seeing yourself as your as the, the supervisor you're also going to get other peer uh, advice as well you may have other colleagues in the practice or, or uh, ECT visitors or the medical educator who are all going to be able to share their concerns or, or provide some extra feedback there as well and of course the, the regional training organization might have some some prior information or some background which they're able to to share there as well particularly if you know we're talking about a remediation term or something like that where some some extra support may actually be required but the big one that we've really got to make sure of is that we can't go along thinking that everything's okay and then have a critical incident blow up in our face and then say crap where did that come from you know it's so often the case that these things just seem to come totally out of the blue and they they shock and su surprise everybody around them excepting of course the the, the, the registrar themselves you know when the registrar can do it do an, an, an honest feedback and an honest appraisal of the of the circumstances and situation often they're going to say you know I've been struggling for a while and that's where it's so important that we might be able to, to be aware of where the the early warning signs for that for that area you know maybe maybe actually coming from. 
Let's have a have a look at where you know, some of the, these might be because if we're, we're going to try to help e educate you a little bit on what those earlier warning signs might be, so that you are aware of them perhaps a little bit earlier than waiting just for that final crisis to, to hit, because it's uh, this isn't just something which you know we're doing. As I said, although the registrar themselves is is so very important, we need to make sure that they're they're taken care of. We need to to understand that if they're actually struggling over a long period of time that you know that rubs off on the colleagues you know and, and the whole the whole practice in fact all of the staff are going to be uh, struggling with that but the bigger issue always is that this is going to potentially affect the welfare of your patients and that's really the safety for whose this uh, this this whole expedition is is so very paramount and Graham that's that's absolutely right that random review is uh, is really a, a useful tool and I'm so glad that you've, you've raised that tool because it's something which I certainly use and I'll show you how we incorporate that that shortly Let's have a look at through some of these early warning signs. And these are these are taken from some work which was done in, in Oxford. So there's a group that we call the Disappearing Act, where your registrar might not be answering calls or messages, and uh, they're often on leave, sick leave, just absent and not really explaining or understanding what's going on with that. A low work rate uh, that they, they they might be struggling to, to get through get through procedures that you know often at the end of the day they've still got uh, 45 minutes worth of patient notes because they weren't keeping up with them as the day was going on they've got a big backlog of letters and uh, and, and things that they need to, to go through uh, every day they're in there before you are and they're still finishing up when you're ready to leave and they're still seeming to struggle with the, with the workload uh, you might find that they're getting irritable or that they're uh, you know seeming that there's there's persecutory things or having outbursts when there, there doesn't seem to be too much of a, uh, of, of an issue that is obvious to, to anybody else and particularly if they're trying to find, if they're starting to find things being taken personally as well in that, that, that area. Some of our other early warning signs certainly of, uh, of rigidity in their in their conduct or behaviour. So they might not be able to tolerate ambiguity or clinical uncertainty all that all that well. They might not be compromising. You know, they might not actually be listening to the patient and negotiating outcomes with a with a patient or with with colleagues or or yourself all that well. Your registrar might be struggling to prioritise the tasks that they've got going on, and uh, you might find that they're actually you know raising alarms about behaviour or about other conduct. That it is to you actually completely reasonable, so that, that's always a, a concern. Some of the more subtle ones, something like bypass syndrome, where you're finding that other staff or uh, even you know students or or, or your, your nurses are coming and seeing you about what's happening with that registrar's patients, rather than discussing them with the uh, with the, the, the registrar them, themselves. And uh, and something which we always have to be concerned about is if your registrar really is lacking in in insight into what's going on, they're becoming very defensive about uh, about comments which you're, you're making, uh, that they you know that they're not really taking constructive criticism on board or that they're arguing and, and counter challenging you on uh, on everything which you've uh, which you've, you've been been suggesting a couple of final ones there to uh, to 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 look at as well career problems uh, that they, they might be really struggling with exams you know they might be looking at, at resitting or they may have failed uh, in the past they might just be not certain that the general practice is actually for them or that in fact this career in, in medicine is is still where they really want to be and, and often you'll find that particularly after they've had a couple 
couple of uh, suboptimal patient outcomes, that often you will find that that personal isolation of a registrar's first term or first year really can be a, a turning point for them and make sure that you're supporting them and, uh, and, and uh, helping them out through that time. We definitely have to be worried about the registrar who doesn't seem to be engaging in their, their own educational conduct as, they're, as they're, they're going through. So it might be that they're, they're not actually wanting to have their feedback uh, session with you or, or getting getting appraisals that they're you know, particularly avoiding getting into that setting that they're not completing their their updates or their, their portfolios and that they're really avoiding reflection and sometimes you know particularly as, as Graham mentions there if you're going back to prior supervisors or to, to referees you might actually be be finding that this has actually been an ongoing trait the medical educator might be ringing you after the third planned teaching session saying hey you know we haven't seen your, your registrar they're saying that they've got too much work going on and you've actually been allocating them plenty of time to be able to, to get through that. And what we're saying with whistleblowing is that are they, um, you know, are they, are they seeming to be dobbing on, on others a, a lot? Are they wanting to maybe elevate or increase their own self-worth or, or, or their self-value by saying that there's you know, problems in the way that other people are going about their conduct? So it might be that they're just not perceiving their own weaknesses or it might be that they're actually looking for weaknesses in others to perhaps try to reinforce their own conduct or their own behaviour, or in fact to divert attention away from their shortcomings there as, as well. So I'm not certain that I've answered that effectively there for you, Anna, but, uh, but nonetheless, that, that's, that's sort of my interpretation on that topic. So as I said, that we might be seeing that not really engaging, and so they might not be engaging in their educational progress, but we might also be finding that they're not really engaging professionally as well, that they might be withdrawing from challenging. So it's one thing to be you know, doing inappropriate whistleblowing or, or looking for problems where they're not really there, but it's another thing to be just going along with everything which is said and not actually challenging or, or questioning or asking for further clarification about issues there as well. And the concern there particularly is if they're then not bringing things to your attention, if we're actually they should be asking questions and getting some clarification about patient management decisions or if somebody else has made a decision that they're reluctant to go and question or, or find out more, more about. And then finally we mentioned that sometimes we, we might find that there are actually strong attitudinal or personality issues which have been present there for, for a long period of time and you may find that you, know, you may have a registrar who has really struggled with having a, a female supervisor or your registrar may come from a background where they've always been encouraged to never question the authority of the, the supervisor in charge and, uh, and what they should actually be, be saying. So very important through an effective orientation process to be making sure that you're getting, getting a, an idea of all these, but more importantly, watching for them. Because as I said, when a crisis does actually hit, more often than not, you can actually flick back through some of these early warning signs and see, yeah, I think there might have actually been something that's been going on there for, for a while. And yeah, look, that tardiness certainly is an issue and I take on board the, the concern about uh, the patient notes aren't always done immediately after the, the, the consultation and that may be appropriate in some practices but really when you're seeing registrars who have got an inbox which is piling up and piling up you do need to ask them about hey look you know what's actually going on with this and Paul you, you're absolutely right that, that often because the receptionist is not only seeing the registrar but the receptionist is seeing the patients when they're coming out from that registrar consultation as well and that's an important 
insight which we should never be omitting. So how do we actually decide what we're going to do? You know, none of us are mean. We're, we're all supervisors because we're good people who have got the altruism of the profession at heart. We want to help our registrars. We want them to thrive and succeed in this business and, and in this vocation. We want them to love it as much as we have. So we're inherently reluctant to actually offend the registrar. So sometimes what we actually find is that supervisors just don't always have the skills necessary to be able to actually raise their concerns with the registrar or to put some constructive measures in place to try to help them out with it. And it might also be that we're only going on what we perceive as being an incomplete background knowledge of the events of what's actually been going on and we really don't want to be going in there without the full, full picture if there's going to be potential offence or, or consequences that arise from that. The other side of that, unfortunately, is that if we don't do anything, we know that, that these events and, and these problems can most definitely still lead to poor outcomes in patients safety. And clinical error, as we know, is, a, is an area which sadly accounts for tens of thousands of preventable deaths worldwide every year. And it's certainly been estimated that in Australia alone, clinical errors, you know, that they account for nearly a billion dollars worth of unnecessary healthcare expenditure each year. And if we can make sure that our registrars or all of our healthcare professionals are working to their optimum and, and being able to undertake the best care of our patients all the time, we're certainly going to be seeing better outcomes in in all of the, these areas. So when is it no longer a choice about what you're going to actually do? And remember that we do have obligations under the, uh, the Health Professional Regulation Act that we have to act under mandatory notification requirements. So I'm sure that you're all aware of the times that we have to notify APRA or the Office of the Health Ombudsman, but certainly if we have reasonable belief that a health practitioner has behaved in a way that constitutes notifiable conduct in relation to the practice of their profession, and that relates to somebody, a doctor who is practicing while intoxicated by alcohol or drugs, sexual misconduct in the practice of the profession, placing the public at risk of substantial harm because of an impairment or health issue, or significant departure from accepted professional standards that therefore may place the public at risk. So these are absolute, you know, not just red flags, these are things that you don't actually have a choice about. If you see these in your registrar, sorry, we've got to go ahead and act. And as a supervisor, that's the ones who we actually have to do something about that. So time for another poll question. For those of you who have managed a, a difficulty, to what level did you have to escalate those concerns? Did you manage it at the practice level alone? Was it something that you had to raise with the local medical educator or the, or the training organisation? Or did you in fact take it to the colleges or all the way to APRA? So not surprising that not too many of us haven't had to go all the way up to uh, up to APRA stage. And look, I, I haven't made a, a notification of concern to RACGP or, or to ACRAM, but I know that particularly in the new training environment, they are wanting to be more involved. And particularly if they've got registrars who are failing exams, they want to be knowing about why. So there are certainly college mechanisms that, that do require this, but it is of course and expected that three quarters of supervisors who've needed help with this have taken it to the training organisation or to, to the medical educator to, uh, to, to help out with. So glad to see that those who have actually had to do something have felt like they've known how to actually go about it to that stage. And Tim, I'm glad to see that you're feeling liberated tonight, but it is always a, an issue that if they have come out of general practice, look, there, there are, we know that there are plenty of good specialists who start their qualifications off 
with FRACGP. We know that there are plenty of generalists who've you know, gone and done an anaesthetic term and the anaesthetists have said, hey, you know, come and do anaesthetic training. So it may be that there is a two-way flow there. And look, you know, it, it, it's human nature. We certainly don't want people to be remaining in, in general practice if they don't want to be here. But, uh, you know, it definitely is probably more often that you'll get registrars coming the other way from specialist training, still seeing GP as the as the default or the easy option to, to come back to. So how do we actually go about addressing areas of difficulty? Now the important thing here is that this is our job. This is not something which you can uh, leave with a practice manager or if you're not the practice principal that you can leave it with a practice principal. You're the supervisor. Others can, can raise concerns to you but you can't actually delegate dealing with this to somebody else. Okay, sorry, there's no easy way around that. This is part of the job. As I've mentioned already, please avoid delaying the intervention. And we know already that feedback is most useful when it's actually given in a timely fashion. And ideally, that's actually then going to give the registrar an opportunity to, to make change and to, to put, implement some constructive changes. And as I've said also, that this is our responsibility to deal with. Please never assume that somebody else is going to, to step in and, and, uh, and do something about it instead. It's not really the job of the, the trading organisation or an ECT visitor to be picking up on these issues and, and, and raising them. It's not fair of us to, to just want to get somebody through their term and then leave it to the next term or the next supervisor to deal with. And heaven forbid any of us would be thinking, oh, well, it can't be too bad because I haven't had a, a letter come from the, uh, the medical defence organisation or from APRA saying that there's a, there's a concern. And Paul, you're right that putting your head in the sand and just not being a good supervisor is sadly one of the areas where we might not realise that there's an issue there ourselves. So it's not, uh, it's not always the registrar's fault that the supervisor doesn't want to know about these things and wanting to, to do something about it. When we're actually having to do the intervention, then go and, and speak to the, the registrar about it, there are certainly some golden rules, but the, the really simple basic principles that we must not lose. Maintain the confidentiality of the, of the registrar. Remain honest, realistic and objective in, uh, in, in what you're talking about with them and the concerns that you've got. Don't rush to early judgment. Please hold off on judgment, you know, particularly in, in the early stages. Make sure that you get one, more than one source of, of information to base the concerns on. Although you're the one who's bringing the concerns to the, to the registrar, it's also your role to provide support to the registrar because they are going to feel isolated and vulnerable at this time. Set some simple, measurable, achievable, realistic, timely goals for the registrar on the, the changes and, the, and the, the interventions which can be done and make sure that you document everything because if this does all go bad and does go wrong, it's so important for yourself and for the registrar that the path that leading up to this event is well documented that everybody is, is aware of it. Okay, You don't have to share the documentation with anybody, particularly in that early stage, but it it does have to be actually done on uh, on what, what's what's actually going on. And look, yeah, if the registrar says no to passing on, on the issues, there are other other mechanisms of, of support there as well. We would we would certainly be encouraging them to to speak to their registrar liaison officer through their their regional training organisation. GPRA are, are able to, to give them some extra support there as well. So if they feel as though this is a broader issue that they don't want board on, and if they're actually having a conflict with their training provider themselves, then that's certainly something which you can't ignore. You know, we 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 have to be able to 
to make sure that the, the training provider and the registrar have to be able to communicate. We can't be providing this, this barrier if there's actually important issues which, which need, to be, need to be raised. So we're going to actually just do a, a brief run through and see, you know, we're just going to put ourselves into the, into the position of what a supervisor dealing with this might be. So we've got a hypothetical, uh, hypothetical training practice uh, down on the, the Sunshine Coast. I don't know if I've got any colleagues from, from down that way tonight, but it's not a real practice. Uh, AgPal accredited, there's two full-time, well-experienced uh, GPs practicing there, yourself being the supervisor. It's a mixed billing practice, uh, getting by on $65 for a standard consult. You've been taking registrars there for several years now. You've usually got medical students around as well, and most often they've actually been more advanced term registrars who you've had coming through, and you're very diligent in making sure that every Wednesday afternoon some time is put aside for the uh, for the for the registrar to, to get their teaching. So hopefully this is quite realistic to most of the uh, most of the participants on board tonight. So tonight we've got a, a hypothetical registrar, a delightful young lady named Alice. She's uh, she's fourth year out of university, 27 years old. She's in the, the first year of her FRACGP pathway, so she's been brave enough to take on her rural placement at the Sunshine Coast. Uh, first up. She's uh, been raised and uh, graduated in, in Sydney where she did her resident training years and she's delighted that she's uh, she managed to get engaged before she uh, before she left New South Wales so she's now busily looking forward to getting married to the man of her dreams in October. All of her family still live in northern, northern New South Wales who she's uh, still very close to so she's going to be up here with you for the whole of this year doing her GPT-1 and her GPT-2 issues. We're uh, just looking through a little bit of multi-source feedback about, about the registrar and that the patients really do seem to be, on the whole, absolutely delighted with her. She's an she's a absolutely lovely young lass, some of your regular patients have, have said to you. She's very thorough in, uh, in how she, she goes through, with, particularly with the, with the kids. But some of your more regular patients have noticed she's still very shy. She doesn't seem very confident in herself all the time. She's very nice, but she actually hadn't heard of my medication. Some of your staff have actually started to notice that it's sometimes a little bit hard to get hold of Alice, particularly during the, the lunch hours. And your receptionist was a little bit concerned that she actually noticed one afternoon that, that Alice was crying in, in between, between patients. Didn't actually bring it up with you at the, at the time. Another thing which the receptionist has passed on to you, that she's actually noticed that quite often Alice will actually advise the patients to be coming in and having their review visit with the supervisor rather than with them, themselves. So there's a few little early warning signs which we may or may not be starting to, to notice on this, but hopefully now that you're a bit familiar with the early warning signs, you might start to actually be, be looking for them a little bit. So what we're going to do here is we're just going to have a little bit of a, of a quick random case analysis uh, review going on with, with Alice because I completely agree with Graham earlier that this is a, a fantastic uh, mechanism and we, we had an earlier webinar on that which any of you who aren't familiar with random case analysis I'd encourage you to, to revisit and, and have a look at. So there's your uh, appointments there on the on the, the left as the, the supervisor on what is usually a very busy Monday morning. And uh, there's Alice's uh, patient listing on the on the right. Basically, we're just illustrating that you've got a very busy morning yourself as supervisor, so you're not always going to be able to directly observe what's actually going on with your registrar at the time. But random case analysis is a great way to be able to look in afterwards. So the first of the uh, the first of the, the patients that we're revisiting with it with Alice is young Master Five. He's a 10-year-old boy. The family are on a healthcare card. He's actually a new patient to the practice. And Mum is adamant that his cough is 
getting worse and that she uh, she actually wants him to have some prednisone. So you're looking through Alice's, uh, Alice's notes there and actually uh, I would say that she looks as though she's been reasonably thorough with all, with all of that. It's a, To me, I'm not identifying any particular concerns about her, her history or, or examination on that. But we do think that yeah, maybe this is a bit of a mild case. It doesn't seem too bad. But you, you do see that Alice has gone ahead and, and advised some prednisone for, for a few nights. And when, when Alice is reflecting on this case with you, she says, look, you know, uh, look, his croup didn't seem too bad at the moment, but when I was in the ED, it seemed like all of the kids with uh, with any sort of croup got the, the prednisone. Isn't that what we do in, in general practice as well? The other thing that you, that you find when you're actually spending a little bit of time talking to Alice about is that she knows that uh, that young Master Fife's mum happens to actually be a good a good friend of the of the practice nurse, which may be how she got an urgent appointment on the Monday morning. But it's also another reason why Alice is a bit reluctant to be offending the uh, offending the, the mum at this particular time. Let's move on to our next one, Mrs. Struthers. Mrs. Struthers is one of our usual patients of the of yours actually. She's uh, usually your patient. She's 73 year old. Uh, once again, a pensioner on her healthcare card. She's popped, just popped in for a flu vax today. She's never had any problems with it. She's up to date with all of her prescriptions. So Alice, being uh, being quite uh, quite wise and quite savvy, decides she's going to take that opportunity to check the blood pressure. It's 168 on 105 today, with a with a pulse rate of 74. And although uh, Mrs. Struthers is adamant that she's still taking all of her usual medications, she's just not sure which ones they are. You when she last saw you yourself, you know, you might have been thinking that she, she actually might have needed some stronger doses, but you know, she's happy to, to wait off onto, onto that. Now when you actually talk to Alice about this and say, Alice, you know, that 160 out of 105, I'd still be thinking that's a bit high. Well, we always remember that Alice might be thinking, well, actually she's your patient, boss. I don't really know if I'm allowed to be actually making changes to, to what happens with you. All of a sudden, you start to see that maybe another one of these early warning signs might actually be flicking away here. Let's move on to another one. We move on to, to Mr. Andrews. Uh, he's a he's a, a very otherwise very well 58 year old male. He's actually been quite proactive. He's he's come in for a general check. He hasn't actually been in for several years, but the arrival of his of his grandchild lately has encouraged him that he, he actually needs to start taking things a little bit seriously. So Alice has gone through and done quite a reasonable check there. She's uh, she's been fantastic in that she's updated your patient demographics, which we had been slack and hadn't entered the alcohol uh, details for our patient for, for several years. She's done a reasonable examination and she's done a bit of a, uh, a quick skin examination, but she hasn't actually gone ahead and, and done anything about that sort of pale, uh, different uh, hypopigmented lesion on the on the left upper arm. When you actually go back and visit that with uh, with Alice at the, at the random case analysis, you actually say, hey, look, you know, if you were concerned about that, why didn't you come and, and get me? And Alice says, well, look, you were having a really busy morning boss I didn't really want to come in and interrupt you but I am a little bit worried about that as she's been doing she's been asking the the uh, the registrar to, to sorry, asking the patient to come and see the supervisor for the review visits and of course you take one look at it and say hey no look we've got to get an urgent biopsy for, for this one sorted out so there are definitely areas uh, where we see that there's clinical concerns coming on we can see that there's areas where there might be personal issues or personality issues which are going on there might even be areas which are 
are structural or organisational which are going on. And each of these issues in isolation might not seem as though we're dealing with a, a registrar who's in difficulty, but it's enough to say, hey, look, we need to go on and start looking a little bit deeper about what, what's, what's happening. So you actually then go go on to all of this with with Alice and, and we say, look, you know, we've got some concerns going on here and I think that most of you would, would agree that what we're seeing here is that, that, that what might just be apparent deficits in her knowledge are becoming compounded by a lack of confidence in her own abilities, but not only in her own abilities, but in actually raising concerns with, with the supervisor or with other, other colleagues as well. Alice is already showing that she's trying to please the patients and the staff, maybe to the stage of compromising on, on her own skills and acumen or, or, or what she thinks might be actually the, the best thing to, to do. She's already showing that she's very reluctant to challenge or to see to be annoying the, the supervisor. As it turns out, she's never actually been taught properly how to do a, a thorough and, and complete skin check. And of course, we're now compounding all of that with those underlying issues of that she's been you know, missing dearly her, her family, missing her home, missing her fiance. And when she actually starts to break down into tears and you actually start delving a little bit deeper into it, you realise, oh my gosh, this poor girl's been struggling with an anxiety disorder and she's never really brought it to anybody's attention and she's been trying to mask it for all of this time. And how easy it is for us all of us all of a sudden to feel absolutely terrible that we were, you know, quick to, to jump to judgment on, on things when she's been trying so hard to actually to actually deal with things herself. So how do we actually then go ahead and develop appropriate supports for our registrar who is who is in difficulty? We're just going to run through the, the basic principles of it. If we start off thinking, you know, consider when you've got a triggering event or a triggering incident which is going on, think about the nature, the significance and the severity of the problem. Is there actually a risk to safety? which is uh, happening. So always think about the safety of the registrar and the patients all of the time. Think about who needs to be aware. Is this something which now that you're aware of, you can actually deal with together with the supervisor? Is it something which does need to be escalated to the level of the, the medical educator or the, the training organisation? Or is this something which in fact does constitute notifiable conduct and needs to be brought to the attention of APRA or to, uh, or to the, the medical defence organisation? Is this something which actually involves systematic or organisational issues? And is it actually an area which doing a doing some, some effective retraining or some, some proper teaching for that area might actually be enough to overcome or to, to assist with. And then finally, are there actually some significant underlying issues, whether they're those performance, professional types of concerns that we're, we're missing that actually need to be addressed before we can hope that any, anything is actually going to improve and, uh, and, and get better. This is a, a simple template which I would encourage all of you to, to use. And realistically, when you're, when you're actually using something like this, it's not all that different to the learning plans which we're already well familiar with and have been using with our registrar registrars for, for years. So this is something which we, we would hope that you'd be able to prepare together with the registrar. It's going to work best with the registrar and this then gives you a standardised way of being able to document what is happening and also it gives you a way that you can leave a copy with the registrar, you can keep a copy of yourself and it shows you where you're at. So it starts off with just those basic details of registrar name, supervisor name, who convened the, the, the meeting, who's actually the, the, the 
the supervisor involved, what's the purpose of the meeting, what are the issues that have been raised, what are the actions which need to be taken, what's the follow-up that's going to happen. And then for the registrar type of things, what's actually the action plan which is going to be put into place. So what do they say are the agreed outcomes, what would they expect, who's the person responsible for achieving that and what's the review date that we're putting in place for that. And then you've got the tick boxes down the bottom of it. is this something that needs to go to the RTO or to, or to APRA or in fact to the college. So it's a really great simple template which really does meet all of the, all of the requirements and I would definitely encourage all of you to, to download this and maybe even just have a, have a theoretical run through with it so that if the time actually comes that you need to use it, it's there to, to go with. So what are some of the ways that we might actually come about helping out the, the registrar? So some of these are going to be in-house things which you can do just within your actual training practice. It might be that a registrar like Alice needs just a little bit of personal leave, you know, take a week off, go down home, spend a little bit of time with the family, you know, we're still going to be here when you get back. It might be that we might need to revamp our teaching plan for the next four weeks and actually come up with some focused teaching sessions on areas which are of, of concern. It might be that they're actually getting overloaded and we need to give the, the registrar a different, slightly different booking structure or a different workload to help them out through with it. Or that perhaps, you know, instead of actually just doing our teaching sessions on topics, we might need to use a little bit more of our allocated teaching time to actually sit in and do some direct observation with the registrar on things that they could do. Some other possibilities might come from external sources. So it might be that the, your registrar might actually benefit from uh, being referred to a counsellor or to a psychologist. It might be that they're, they actually are getting isolated and having a good study group or spending some time networking with their peers and colleagues is all that they need. The regional training organisation might be able to develop an appropriate support program or remediation for the registrar. It might be that there is just a, a basic clash of personalities and that things aren't going to work with you and the registrar, but in a different training practice they might flourish and that's certainly something which happens all the time. Never take it personally if, you're, if your training provider suggests that that is a, as an option. And of course it's the role of APRA that if notification has, has arisen that they need to be able to, to come up with, with a plan and an intervention there as well, which sometimes knowing that they've got a registrar as being adequately supervised by a senior colleague is all that APRA might want to, to know, they just want to, want to get some feedback from you as well at the, at the actual time. So in summary folks, we're just going to, to go back through that, that uh, please be aware that when your registrar might be having issues that there's going to be a multitude of factors which are going to be impacting on them that we may or may not be aware of but hopefully now you're a little bit more aware to watch out for them. Being able to identify early signs of distress is crucial for the, for the best outcomes for your registrar, your patients and the practice as a whole. It is our responsibility as a supervisor to address the issues, not to pass them off and to delegate them to somebody else. If you can actually get timely and supported intervention, that really is necessary and to get that in as early as, as can be appropriately uh, placed is the, the, the way to, to go. And making sure that there is abundant support that, that you are able to, to get hold of, your, your regional training organisation, organisations like GPSA uh, and that, that of course that the colleges, uh, both RACGP and, and ACRAM have got ways to, to help out with, that, with these, these registrars as well. Michael's quite right to, to say that uh, 
it's very difficult if the supervisor is the treating clinician and we would definitely encourage you always to separate those roles. Please don't become the, uh, the, the, the treating clinician if you can at all avoid it, but we would rather that that happen than that the registrar not have a, not have a, a, a GP themselves. And uh, Rolf, you're, you're right, that often it's never a single one of these errors or one of these factors which becomes the precipitant, but often it's when they all arise in, in sequence, giving us that, that Swiss cheese effect that we actually see these, uh, these, these, these problems arise. So uh, we're just, just about there, folks. We're going to have just a, a quick poll, uh, just wanting to make sure that we met tonight's objectives, which I'll just revisit for you. Did you feel that we, you now are able to understand potential causes of difficulty for registrars? That you know some of the ways to identify signs of difficulty? You know some of the measures to put in place to address these issues with the registrar? And you would know how, when, how and why to escalate. Wonderful guys, thank you, uh, thank you very much. As I mentioned earlier, that this is by no no means a comprehensive overview of the, this very very broad area. But I would definitely encourage you all to use the uh, the, the user supervisor guide that GPSA has, has has published and released. Make sure you've got it downloaded and have a flick through that. So uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for for all of those who've, who've participated, and uh, we really appreciated it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We would love your feedback. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give a rating and or a review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your colleagues. If you'd like to ask a question or suggest a topic, you can reach out to us via our social channels. Simply search GP Supervisors Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which this recording is taking place and pay respects to their elders past, present and future and their families. GP Supervisors Australia is supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Australian General Practice Training Programme.